0: welcome to the fourth episode of the future is female podcast with me your host Rebecca Hocking within this podcast series I'll be joined by a variety of inspirational females from across the UK who'll be telling me their stories about their lives and what they do I'm sure the stories you'll hear will inspire you and will help you to learn something new as we discuss topics which aren't regularly spoken about in society Today, I'm joined by Mabel Edge from the South West, who runs a family mediation service called Children's First Mediation. Within this episode, you'll hear from Mabel about what she does by using real life examples to explain her role and to put it into context. At the end of this podcast, there'll be details of how to contact her for more information if you are requiring her service. Hello Mabel and thank you for coming onto the Future is Female podcast. So to give the listeners a deeper insight into what you do, please could you provide me with a bit of background information About yourself
1: okay so um, what I do is I I manage a a family mediation service so effectively um, supporting families in what's called the private law arena so where people are in dispute about arrangements for children or financial issues uh, following separation or potentially uh, following divorce Uh, we help those uh, people that are separated to to come up with their own plan uh, and find a way forward that works for everyone Uh, and keeps the children and uh, the family in control of the decisions that are being made.
0: Okay, thank you for that. So what impact has COVID-19 had on your work? Because it has been a tough time for everyone, especially for those who are struggling. I think what we've
1: seen certainly in this last year is an increase in the numbers of families that are needing to use our service, um, not least because uh, of the pressure that people are under being in the same household. Um, and you know perhaps separating during that time because of the pressures Um, but also uh, we've seen changes in relation to um, what dads have been able to offer which has had quite an impact therefore on uh, what mums are kind of being expected to offer or at times where perhaps that's in conflict with um, you know mums being the primary carer for the child's entire life and dad's suddenly been furloughed or is suddenly working from home and his so his availability has changed um, and his uh, want his desire to want to spend more time with his children using this as an opportunity um, has arisen and that's sort of been the sort of catalyst for quite a lot of conflict in a number of families um, and also we've seen quite um, a lot of families um, particularly in the first and second lockdowns but it is still happening where the sort of uh, the conditions around lockdown are confused or distorted. And that's potentially then used um, as a reason why children haven't been able to spend time with either of their parents. Um, So and we've certainly seen in this last six months quite a number of young people um, who have in effect moved uh, themselves from their primary residence with their mum into their dad's home um, and you know sort of resisting um, and at times blatantly refusing to have any sort of contact and relationship with their mums at the moment.
0: Yes it is a very very difficult time. Very
1: very difficult time for families um, you know and sometimes these families are living under the same roof because they don't have the financial means um, at the moment to physically separate Um, so we're seeing that more and more people are uh, still in in that situation uh, and we're trying to sort of make interim plans to help them to cope during that sort of short-term period to get them through the sort of next phase but the lack of time scale and ending to, to that that is quite challenging for people.
0: Definitely and how have you had to adapt your work personally to be able to provide the same service as before the coronavirus pandemic? We're sort of a Plymouth based service. So we're city based. um,
1: And we've got our own offices there. We haven't been there for nearly a year. Um, I think we've done one or two mediations there in the summer when the lockdown uh, situation changed. Um, So we went straight away online. Um, so we were quite responsive to that Um, and we've been able to extend our services to sort of like a wider reach of people so expanding outside of um, Plymouth into across Devon but also uh, as far as kind of Somerset and uh, slightly wider reach than that as well to to try and meet the needs of families that are out there because it's quite um, a limited market and there's not lots of uh, qualified mediators in the country believe it or not Um, and it is there is a legal requirement to attend mediation so um people have a a have to attend at least an initial assessment meeting with a registered mediator so there is a need out there and and then people haven't been able necessarily to access the services so we're trying to expand so that people can at least um,
0: access the help that they need um I didn't realize that you only started up not that long ago so if there was no pandemic over the last 15 months 16 months do you think you would have had more or less work
1: um we you know we Definitely um, would have, we were definitely, we've definitely had more work since COVID. Um, I think our our reach is slightly different though, because the focus of our business, um, as I say, I set business up about four years ago now, um, nearly in April um, when I resigned from my job. Um, And, you know, we've increased uh, quite quickly, uh, but just in this last year, you know, the, um, the numbers of people coming through the doors is, is, you know, really, really significantly more than what we were experiencing. And the other thing really with that is that um, we because we have a legal aid contract, which means that the government effectively subsidize mediation um, for um, people that are on low income. And specifically, there are a number of benefits that automatically enable people to access a free mediation. um, And that being things like universal credit, job seekers allowance, employment support allowance. Um, So with a few conditions, those people automatically would be eligible for free mediation. But we're also offering the ex-partner who may not be eligible that service for free too. So we've seen quite a large increase in the uptake um, of free mediation this year as well, um, which is a good thing for those families that there is that additional help there that the government are providing Um, definitely
0: and lastly then on a bit of your background information have you got anything else to add about what you do and also maybe how people contact you or we could leave that to the end
1: yeah one of the sort of um things that we sort of tell people about the work that we do about you know mediation is that we you know the, the process itself is actually voluntary so people come by choice um, and we're not here to take sides or to say who's right or who's wrong it's our job to try and help parents to hear things from one another's points of view to try and keep the focus on the children and their needs and see if they can find a way forward or if it's about finances you know again it, usually there are children involved with that to try and keep the, the focus on the children but also to look at you know what are the best options and to try and alleviate the sort of stress and anxiety that people often go through because uh, mediation is now seen as um, and, and the government driver is that you know certainly coming out of the last sort of five years but the, the government published a report in november that basically said you know we have to stop families going to solicitors in the first instance you know they need to be going to mediation we need to divert them away from the courts because the family court system is absolutely saturated and it cannot cope with the demand as months now for initial you know, hearing, but actually, a lot of those problems can actually be resolved in mediation. So the idea is to divert people away from courts. But unfortunately, you know, it's a business model that means that people make money out of people going through the courts, which is a stressful and um difficult process for people that can take you know six to nine months to resolve. Um, And, you know, what we uh, specialize in is in actually keeping the voice of the child at the center of the decision. So as a mediation service, we do work with children as part of the process uh, and, you know, there's been there was a report that was published in November about the voice of the child within the mediation process because children have had a right to have a voice in decisions that have been made about them since 1989. Um, It's enshrined in in the law but unfortunately it hasn't really been a feature of our work but certainly um, it's something that since we started or since I started Children First Mediation in 2017 it's been the focus of our work Um, and you know Just this week, I've seen three children, um, which actually probably doesn't sound like a lot, but across the country, there are very few mediators doing this work. Um, And so we are sort of really known across England for this work and people will come to us specifically and courts will direct people to us now specifically to undertake child inclusive mediation because we can enable the child to have a voice in their parents decision making, not to burden them with the responsibility of making the decision, but to actually involve them um, so that they do feel that their parents have been able to hear what it is that they would like to happen and what things they think need to be different or change in order to improve their situation. And so we really pride ourselves in, in the fact that we do that work.
0: Yes, that is really important. Children's voices and hearing what they've got to say is so important. Absolutely. And, you know,
1: whilst this sort of requirement
0: is always to consider it
1: for children over the age of 10 as a service, we will work with children where where it's needed and where it's appropriate from sort of five and up, really. Um, And, you know, we're lucky in that respect that we have that expertise um, and all of our mediators that work in the team. So there are five of us. uh, We're all child inclusive mediators. That means that we've all done additional training. To sort of work in that way Um, and we've also sort of undertaken training in parental alienation which I think just one of the sort of things I touched on without sort of referring to it as parental alienation earlier is an area where we see children who have potentially being alienated against one or one parent and that and their extended family arising out of sort of denigration um, from one of their parents against the other and that takes its toll over time, really, on children's emotional health and well-being uh, and causes a sort of state of splitting, really, where they then feel that they just cannot cope anymore um, with going to spend time with the other parent for fear of uh, rejection from the parent who's who's behaving in a way to um, alienate them. And so one of the things that we do is we we can conduct as part of our assessment, an assessment to identify that and you know, signpost them to the appropriate services to get some help so that the child doesn't actually continue to suffer in that scenario.
0: It is really interesting to know that so many mediators are not trained in working with children. So thank you for providing this service. It is definitely needed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, it's something that I'm quite passionate about and I've worked with children and young people. I was a manager in children and young people services for 10 years prior to setting up the service. And the voice of the child has always been really important to me. And, you know, part of our training requirements to attend um, additional training to conduct uh, work with children, it means that lots of mediators have, you know, I say lots, you know, Maybe sort of three or four hundred mediators have trained to do this, but actually people don 't have the confidence or the skill base to do that um, and so whilst people might have trained, you know certainly what our experience is is that they 're not using those skills. but I think what the government's saying now is we must use those skills we have to upskill our, our profession to go and do that work because children are pivotal you know, they they really should uh, be enabled and supported to participate in this process. Um, And it would be wrong of us as a profession not to include them. Um, So we have to do more. And certainly, that's something that, you know, as part of of the kind of voluntary work that I do on the Family Mediation Council Standards Board is about driving up those standards and making sure that mediators can become confident um, to deliver, deliver that. So, irrespective of, of where a family lives in the country, that their children should still be entitled to have that opportunity. Um, so I think that's really important.
0: Definitely then. And for you personally, it is really interesting to hear that you are not previously in this sector but you are now because of a passion how important is this?
1: Yeah it's so important for me you know because I've always done roles where I've I've been passionate about it and when I worked for the local authority I managed a specialist service which was about uh, restorative approaches which was about working with people rather than doing to people and that sits at really the very heart and the core of mediation so it's not about telling people what to do it's about saying to them look you know let's try to help you to understand things from one another's point of view and let's see if we can get you together to Find a way forward, and to see the journey that people can make within mediation um, is just outstanding. You know that the the examples that that we can we could give of families making a huge leaps uh, where you just would never have thought it would be possible. People do come in to mediation with very polarized positions, um, but it's our job to try and help them to sort of negotiate their way to sort of a path you know in in a way we see it as being kind of on a bit of a roundabout they're going round and round and round they can't find a way off that they can agree which route to take so and sometimes it's about looking at each of those different routes that they that they've got in mind um, and helping them to see which what each of those routes could bring but other times it's about making a new road and saying okay you've never been down this road before but let's look at what that road could offer for you for your family and most importantly for the children Um, and when it's about financial issues you know sometimes we see people who are fighting uh, over financial issues usually property and, and pensions but the costs that they've already incurred are greater than what they've actually got To um, to fight, you know, and a lot of the time, what we're certainly seeing at the moment is that it's about debt rather than assets, whereas previously it would be about, okay, we've got a family home and there may be a bit of equity in it. Now it's about, you know, they've got more debt, certainly, than they've got equity. So it's about who's going to have which debts. um, And that's a really, really sad Uh, position for people to be in um, because they can't find a way forward Um, and they they have been kind of guided misguided to believing they have to go through the court process which is extremely expensive um, to try to sort of get to a resolution on those things when in fact they don't need to do that at all and for most people about 70 percent of the people that we see now are legally aided so they get it for free Um, so they get this free help to help them to find a solution from within rather than sort of someone imposing a solution on them, which most people don't really enjoy. Um, so I think for me, there's that passion of being able to give people the opportunity. It's a platform to give them back some control, um, to be able to stay in control of the decision making rather than having somebody externally decide uh, what will happen. And that ownership that comes from people say that, you know, if it's not legally binding, but you can have it made legally binding if that's what's important to that individual family. But What's more important is that people take ownership for the decisions that they're making. So if they own those decisions and they feel that it's realistic and workable for them, then there's not really any reason why they can't stick within them. Um, It's only when there's disagreement about whether that's a good plan or a bad plan as to when people get into conflict and things break down. Um, So, but on average, really, we don't see people many more than uh, families that we see, not more than two, two mediation sessions. Um, So Sometimes we hear that people have had six or seven mediation sessions, but certainly within our service, that's never really been a requirement because we help people to take that um, ownership and responsibility from the start. And I think I do genuinely believe because we do keep the focus on the children at the centre and we help them to see that what their children need from what they've told us. And actually to to make a plan that's about their children and what they need, not about what they want. They each come in wanting, I want this and I want that. But we're like, OK, that's great. That's what you want. But what do your children need? And then we start to build a plan around what their children need, which is a very different sort of approach to, OK, how am I going to help him to get some of what he wants and her some of what she wants? You know, um, so it's uh, you know slightly different for how we how we conduct what we do, really.
0: Yes, very important. And it's so varied. There's so many different situations and scenarios. So if people are listening to this podcast episode and they feel that they need to come and speak to you and Children's First Mediation, how do they contact you?
1: So the simplest way to contact us is using our free phone number. So the free phone number that we um, operate is an 0800 number. So it's 0800 061 4905. Or they can send an email over to info at childrenfirstmediation.co.uk um, and we've also got a website so you know childrenfirstmediation.co.uk have a look on the website um, and you can send a link through the website Um we've obviously got you know social media so we've got our own social media channels as well feel free to look us up on there um, and our reviews we have you know outstanding reviews on google um, and we pride ourselves in those um Usually people only review you when you've done something wrong, (laughs) but actually on the whole, generally people are really happy with the service uh, that we provide, Um, you know, and um, just one other point just on the child inclusive mediation is that it's something that the government don't actually fund, even though it is something they do expect mediators to do. And because most families really don't have the financial means to do that as a service, it's something that I actually fund Um, for the families that come through the service so it's something that the company actually do on a voluntary basis because we do feel that strongly um, about making sure that it does happen and I don't believe that money should be a barrier to those children having their voice heard in the process.
0: Absolutely that is a very interesting point. And it's something that I hear time and time
1: again from my colleagues across the country, who's going to pay for it, who's going to pay for it, nobody wants to pay for it and I say well it doesn't matter who's going to pay for it, you know if I need to pay for it and that means that those children get a voice then that's what I'll do. And what we see is that children, so I did a mediation yesterday. And we heard from a a boy whose parents had, we'd seen the parents a couple of weeks ago, and then we saw the boy and then he inputted his views yesterday. And that really helped the parents, you know, really grounded them. It really helped them to hear from their child and what he wanted. And it helped them to make the right decisions for him. Um, And they left, you know, upbeat and positive because they've actually made a plan that that everyone feels can work. Um, And that he's going to feel that he's had his voice heard within that as well um and that did help them to make the right you know the right decisions you know they weren't sure which way to go and that really did help them so i think you know it's and and you know for me i think well yes that might have cost that might have cost me as a service money but isn't that worthwhile um you know that that child's been able to be heard and i think that's more important for me um children at the center which is why we're called children first mediation
0: um Well thank you very much for coming on the fourth episode of the Future is Female podcast Mabel really appreciate you joining me today and hopefully the listeners have learned something new about your role so if they need to contact you the links are in the description of this podcast so please look below and contact Mabel and the organisation if necessary. Thank you very much for everyone for tuning in and please keep your eye out for the next episode which will be coming very soon.